And you're very welcome to Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. How the hell are you today? It's uh, been an interesting day at BBG Towers, I don't mind telling you. The time is five o'clock, by the way. It's uh, the way to contact me, as usual, during the programme, as I'm not on Twitter, really, is through the website richieallen.co.uk. I'm looking forward to this programme, don't you know? Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. You know what we've not spoken about for some time, for some years? The spectre, the subject, the horror of forced adoption when the state intervenes and removes children from their homes, takes them away from their parents. Now, you might think that when the state does that through the family courts, there's a good reason for it. Yes, of course, from time to time, children are abused sexually or physically or neglected or beaten. Yes, of course, it it has to be dealt with and intervention is necessary. Tens of thousands of children are taken from their families each year in this country for something called risk of future emotional harm. It really is Philip K. Dick stuff like Minority Report, it really is. Ian Josephs is an amazing man. He's 90 years old. He lives in Monaco. He's got a law degree. He's an old friend of this programme. And he runs a website called forced-adoption.net. He's helped dozens of people avoid this horror over the years. And he's helped people escape, women and men, escape from the UK before their children have been taken. I'm, I've asked Ian to come back on the programme today because of a story I came across in the press this morning, which is pretty horrific. We'll talk about that during the course of the next hour. I'm going to run down the news stories and a few other things before we get Ian on. Now, I'm like I'm like 90% Ian is going to be on. We chatted earlier on. He's in Monaco, but he's got logistical issues at the moment. I probably should have said that at the beginning. I'm hoping they'll be resolved by the time we're due to speak with him, which is at 7 o'clock Central European time, which is around about 6 o'clock here in the UK. Did you know that? Did you Did you know that Central European time is one hour ahead of the UK, did you? Did you? I only picked it up today, to be honest. I'm still screwing up like that. Years and years in this job, I'm still screwing up time zones. I should know them by rote now, but I don't. Anyway... Anyway, how the bloomin' heck are you this afternoon? What's your Tuesday been like? Was it the same as Monday? Days just bleed into one another now, do they? Do they? They kind of do for me. One day doesn't differ too much from the previous day. I've got to give a big shout out to my friend in in France, my friends Sophie and Andrew, but particularly to Sophie, Sophie Lambert, Sophie Lambert, Sophie Lambert. Sophie is the product she is the product of a French father and a Yorkshire mother. <laughs> that has to be some mix. I, I, I really, I, I look forward to the day I, I meet Sophie. What a mix. I mean, I know what the French are like. They know everything. I often say to uh, Caroline, I often say, I don't know why you don't burn your encyclopedias, you know, because you obviously know everything. You think women know everything. Well, you haven't met a a French woman. And nothing is as good as it is in France either. 
that old crap, you know. If it's French, it's uh, magnifique. If it's the same thing, but some other country, well, it's crap. It's sheet. The French are very arrogant like that. Imagine a, the product of a, of a Yorkshire woman and a French man. I hope I've gotten it right that it's not the other way around. Imagine that. I like what I... No, I say what I like. And then, I can't do any of the accents. I like what I bloody well say. Or something along those lines anyway. Sophie got in touch with me this afternoon because apparently these things are all the bloody rage. Through the night, we got a great big convoy. Join the bloody convoys. Apparently, convoys are all the rage since the Canadian truckers decided to take over downtown Ottawa. You think you'll tell us to get jabbed, do you, huh? Huh? We'll show you. They're still there, the old convoy of the old truckers. The Freedom Convoy is still there. Now, Sophie Lambert got in touch with me and she said, Richie, tomorrow, she says, some frogs are copying Canadians and getting organised to do a freedom convoy. A freedom convoy. It isn't lorry drivers because unlike in Canada, lorry drivers here are employees and don't own their own lorries. It's a convoy relay of private cars from all over France to go first to, to is it to Paris, then to Brussels, with people joining in. Hang on, hang on. Hang on. <laughs> Let me start again. Yes. Going first to Brussels, people joining in their private cars for some of the way. Itineraries have been uh, designed for all areas to get to Paris, starting on the 9th and getting to Paris on the 11th of February. Convoys heading for Paris for February the 11th. Not lorries, because French lorry drivers are employees and they do not own their lorries. But if you've got a private car, if you've got a wagon... Or a car. An automobile. I don't know what the French for car is. I should do, but I don't. Anyway, you might want to join in. Make your way to Paris by the 11th of February. And take over Paris. Depending on where you live. There's a very active Facebook group, she says, and Telegram channel. If you're interested in this and you're in France. Or Belge. Or Belge. Or you're in Suisse. Or somewhere else and you want to be involved. Go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash convoy france if you want to get involved there and you want to stand up to the tyranny by occupying france or paris anyway tomorrow the old convoys are all the rage that's lovely isn't it? and i love that song USA, convoy. breaker breaker it's a big 10 too rubber ducky yeah, everybody had a CB back in the day in Waterford in the 1980s. There was a CB club in Waterford. It was run by a chap called George Malone, whose son I was pally with for some time called Ray. And they had CBs and they would do quizzes on Saturday nights and they all had their own handles. <laughs> These Waterford Egypts were in a CB club. Presumably they were inspired by Smokey and the Bandit and Convoy. So they went out and they remortgaged the house to buy a CB. And they were connected on Channel 2, Channel 2. And they all put on these stupid American accents as well, these Egypts. 
I'm sure they had cowboy boots and stuff. And they had their little quizzes going on on Saturday nights and they used to fight over the quizzes. But there was no internet back then so you couldn't cheat really. Unless you had the Encyclopedia Britannica. Or unless you had a French wife because French women know everything. It's eight minutes past the hour. It's the Richie Allen Show live from Salford. I just wasted eight minutes there talking complete bollocks. That's a record for me. I'll try and beat it sometime next week. Uh, the, the the Prime Minister, apparently, has got absolutely no intention of apologising for, apparently, wait for it, his false claim that Sir Keir Starmer failed to prosecute Jimmy Savile. Now then. Um, the Labour leader was targeted by protesters near Parliament yesterday. They referred to people as a hate mob. In fact, this morning, it looked like the the, the news programmes... It looked like they'd all been given the same fact sheet because they were using the same terminology. An anti-vaxxer hate mob. Were you there, were you? Tell me if you were there. Were you part of the anti-vaxxer hate mob that scared the bejesus out of Keir Starmer? Anyway, this is being blamed on Johnson because Johnson accused eight or nine days ago, he said to Keir Starmer during a testy exchange about the Sue Gray report Johnson said, well, when he was the DPP, he spent more time prosecuting journalists and not prosecuting Jimmy Savile. And they've said this is a false claim that Keir Starmer had nothing whatsoever to do with prosecuting Jimmy Savile, the record-breaking paedophile, who fancied everything that moved Jimmy Savile, apparently. Men, women, grannies, granddads, children, Jimmy Savile. Never come across anything like it in all my life. I'm not saying I doubt it. Oh, don't start now. I'm not saying I doubt it. But I had many a late night conversation with old David Icke, God, God love him. And we, 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 we marvelled, really, at the depravity of Savile. Certainly unique, right? Anywho, so they're saying to Johnson, there's a febrile atmosphere. Politicians' lives are in danger. And it's because of you, you fat straw-haired goon. You can't tell lies in Parliament about Sir Keir because it, it absolutely influences the anti-vax hate mob and, and well, they, then, then they just run after Sir Keir and David Lammy and scream at them. But Boris Johnson won't be apologising. He did condemn the harassment. He tweeted about it. He said that the, be, the behaviour directed at Sir Keir on Monday was disgraceful and completely unacceptable. There you go. The mob. They said a number 10 source told the media today it was unreasonable to suggest that what happened yesterday was Boris's fault and not the mob's fault. The mob. Really? The mob? Well, Joe Pike works for Sky News. He's a reporter. He's a Johnny on the spot type of a reporter. He, here he is speaking this afternoon. Oh, Jesus. Turn off the music, Baldy. Okay. Here's Joe Pike this afternoon giving his tuppence worth on the mob. And he attempts to put the mob into a bit of context, does Joe? We should say, though, the context here is important. The protesters we saw uh, in those images yesterday here in Westminster were not, as far as we are aware, uh, there attending, protesting because of what Boris Johnson said uh, eight days ago. They are COVID sceptics, COVID conspiracy theorists, you might say, who had a planned demonstration outside Downing Street which moved to Parliament Square. And then, perhaps opportunistically, they took advantage of uh, Keir Starr leaving the uh, Palace of Westminster, leaving the, leaving the parliamentary estate. Certainly some of the terms they used 
uh, were about Jimmy Savile and protecting paedophiles, as we uh, heard there. And therefore, I think it's hard for Boris Johnson to argue uh, that those comments weren't said for any other reason than he had made them in the Commons eight days ago. But it's important to say that I don't think these protests have happened purely because of what Boris Johnson uh, said. Certainly, though, it is evidence, I think, that what is said in Parliament does have real-world uh, consequences. And what Lindsay uh, Hoyle, the Speaker, said in the House of Commons is significant because I think he is aware of his role in protecting MPs, especially since less than four months ago, one Conservative MP was killed at a constituency surgery. That, of course, would, was David Amos. This comes a few years after Joe Cox's murder, a Labour MP murdered uh, during the Brexit referendum, the EU referendum. Her sister, uh, Kim Leadbeater, is now in Parliament in the seat those two uh, women grew up in, the sisters grew up in, in Batley and Spen. This is what uh, Kim Leadbeater told us earlier today. I found it really hard. I always do, you know, whenever we see scenes like that, it makes me angry and it makes me upset. Um, about the state of our politics and what it's become and people protest they've got a right to protest that's absolutely right but there's a lot of anger out there at the moment and I think as politicians we've got a responsibility to try and make that situation better not worse and I think sadly we have to accept that the Prime Minister at the minute is not making it better he's making it worse and that's what leads to scenes like that. Yeah, Joel Cox's sister, Kim Leadbeater, she should leave the lead alone. It has a hell of a time, does the lead. Um, yeah, Kim Leadbeater, she, she got the seat after Joel Cox was murdered in very bizarre circumstances, allegedly by a guy called Thomas Mayer. But that stinks, that murder. Joel Cox was undoubtedly murdered, heaven help her. And it must have been a horrendous thing for her family. Very strange one. We covered that extensively at the time on the Richie Allen Show. Uh, Kim's got the safest seat in the world, I would say, in these virtue signalling times, eh? Every five years, doesn't, ma- doesn't matter what Kim Leadbeater does or doesn't do. In Batley and Spen, who will we vote for? We better keep voting for Kim, God lover, in the memory of Joe. Nice work if you can get it. Is that harsh? Maybe. Maybe it is. I don't care anymore. Angry, said Kim Leadbeater. Angry. Angry and democracy is in some sort of danger. And people are angry. Why are people angry? Why are people angry? We'll maybe come back to that in a few minutes' time. Labour's Chris Bryant. The less said about him, the better. Labour's Chris Bryant was, was on BBC Breakfast this morning and he makes out that, well, we're going the way of America soon. The anti-vax hate mob will be taking over Parliament like they tried to take over the Capitol last January or January 2021 even. Yeah. And the worst of this is, you know, we know exactly how this plays out because we've seen it in the United States of America. If Boris Johnson keeps on doing this, we will see exactly the same as in the United States of America. MPs will be handed on their way into Parliament and there'll be people on the steps of Parliament... Um, just as they were on the 6th of January on Congress in the United States. Please God, please God we'll see people on the steps of Parliament, but not running around like Egypt. And of course, what, what happened in the United States last year, I shouldn't say of course, because this is my personal opinion. If ever an event was staged, the, the Capitol riot was the most staged event in the history of staged events, wasn't it? I'd like to see people eventually in their tens of thousands, take to Westminster with their brooms and their dustpans and basically clean it out peacefully 
on your bike. And as for Chris Bryant, calm down, dear. We'll come back to that. Uh, the Speaker of the House of Commons, Lindsay Hoyle, Sir Lindsay Hoyle, Jesus, um, he wanted to say something today before the business of the House commenced. He wanted to say something about the hate mob. The hate mob. Order. Before we start today's business, I want to say something about the disgraceful behaviour yesterday that was directed at the Right Honourable Member for Holborn and St Pancras and Tottenham. I deplore the fact that members of this House were subjected to intimidating and threatening behaviour while simply doing their jobs. I know the whole House will join me in saying we stand with our colleagues in condemning the behaviour they and the police experienced. While I do not comment in detail on security matters on the floor of the Chamber, steps must be in place to keep pass holders secure as they enter and leave the parliamentary estate. I have requested a situation report from the Metropolitan Police via our security team on how this incident occurred. I understand that arrests have been made following yesterday's incident, and so it would be appropriate to not comment in detail. I know it has been reported that some abuse was directed at the right honourable member, the leader of the opposition yesterday, related to claims made by the Prime Minister in this chamber. But regardless of yesterday's incident, I made it clear last week that while the Prime Minister's words were not disorderly, they were inappropriate. As I said then, these sorts of comments only inflame opinions and generate disregard for the House, and it is not acceptable. Mm, those sorts of comments inflame. The, the idea that you can say something, you know, you can pass comment on something, like you did feck all to prosecute Jimmy Savile. And whether that's true or isn't true, and we'll talk about it briefly in a moment, because it bears discussion, it bears discussing, I think, for a moment anyway. This is the thing, you see. This, this There's a crescendo building now towards, towards making it impossible for people to opine on anything, lest that opining, lest that opinion, lest you vocalising your thoughts or your feelings lest you be accused of inciting something or harming someone. I saw the video of this stuff yesterday. These people were, were, were angry, they were fed up, they weren't mincing words in terms of what they were saying to Starmer and David Lammy. But there was nothing really hateful about them. They certainly weren't a mob. They were already situated there. They have been for some time. They weren't there for Starmer. And for Lammy, it was a bit of a bonus for the protesters to be, you know, all of a sudden to be sharing the same oxygen as uh, the leader of the opposition and Lammy, who I think is the shadow foreign secretary, God help us. Anyway, we'll come back again to that in a moment. In a moment. David Lammy was there. David Lammy. Oh, David Lammy, where do you start? Maybe I should finish. Maybe I shouldn't say anything about him because it's obvious. Lammy was there and he spoke to LBC's Ian Dale and gave his account of the anti-vax hate mob. It was incredibly aggressive, I have to say. It was very aggressive, very ferocious. Ferocious. Um, um, uh, incredibly hostile. 
Jesus. Um, and you know, I've did you did you actually for... fear? Did you feel for your safety? Did you fear for Kia's safety? Because you, I mean, I've seen some of the footage, and you were doing a pretty good job as a as a bouncer, protecting Kia from them, actually shielding him, <laughs> him from them. Did you feel <laughs> frightened? David Lammy, the bouncer, eh? Patrick Swayze, eat your heart out. I think the atmosphere was freebile, and um, I've got to say that the behaviour of some of the protesters was slightly crazed. Slightly crazed? We, me and Keir Starmer and Angela Rayner and, and, and the rest of them, we participate in the fucking up of people's lives, the ruining of their livelihoods, the destruction of their fucking communities, the emptying of their bank accounts, the wrecking of the mental well-being of their children. We contributed to imprisoning them in their own homes. How dare they shout at us when they see us on the street? It was febrile. It was ferocious, I tell you, said David Lammy. How dare these people, after we ruined their lives and set in motion... A, a chain of events that has led to today where they can't heat their fucking houses, where they're freezing to fucking death as the price of oil and, and gas prices, of course, artificially inflated by the same people, of course, make it almost impossible for people to live. Food prices, inflation, we did all that to them. I can't believe that they would shout at us when they see us on the street. Lammy, you tit. Anywho... Let's hear a bit more of Brave, Brave Sir David. You remember Sir Galahad? The Holy Grail, Monty Python. No, it was Sir Robin. Brave, Brave Sir Robin. Wait till we hear the bouncer. Uh, and in those circumstances, things can be very unpredictable. Uh, what I would say is that there were um, the protection officers who were also surrounding... If they're playing close, you can't tell their protection officers. They were surrounded by about two dozen blokes with guns. Really brave, this guy, David Lammy. And I want to pay tribute to them. Uh, and there were two police officers, uh, but clearly only two, uh, because this, this rabble crossed the street and crossed over once they had spotted uh, Keir Starmer uh, and myself. So it was a freebile atmosphere. Um, look, uh, in well... Ian, how can I put it? You know, how can he put it? You no, know, I'm born and raised in Tottenham. He's from Tottenham now. Um, you know, um, you can take the Tottenham. You can take me out of Tottenham. You can't take the Tottenham out of the man, as it were. And you so, can't take the Tottenham out of the man. So I, uh, Those protesters didn't know who they were fucking with when they took on David Lammy um, and the fifteen guys around him in plain clothes with uh, with Glock pistols strapped to their waists. You know, I wasn't going to let these thugs. Get their way, and I, I. He wasn't going to let those thugs get their way, <laughs> David Lammy. A fart would knock over David Lammy. Give me a break, right? So that was Lammy's fictitious account of what took place yesterday in uh, in London near the Houses of Parliament. This dominated news coverage today. This, you know, what are we going to do? To protect our public servants from the people they're screwing in the arse. What are we going to do to prevent people from telling them, Oi, you fucker! Why didn't you stand up to lockdowns? Why, you traitor? Why didn't you ask any fucking questions, Sir Keir? You stood across from Johnson every week for fucking two years. 
You know there are doctors from Ivy League universities saying that lockdowns are fucking deadly. That they kill people and children. That was your job, you fuckwit. Only one time did you have to bring some of those doctors with you to say, hey, listen, Johnson, what about these people? How dare, how dare those protesters? David Lammy, speaking to Ian Dale on LBC. You had one job during the last two years, one job, and that job was to say, I've got people over here that say lockdowns are deadly and there are no need for any of these jabs. And we shouldn't be indemnifying the manufacturers of these fucking dangerous jabs, these unproven jabs. We shouldn't be indemnifying them against prosecution. I've got scientists over here who say that you're wrong to do that. What say you, Prime Minister, in Prime Minister's questions? But he didn't do that. Starmer and Lammy and all the other tossers on the opposition benches, they gave Johnson a blank fucking check. Do what you want. Let's not even go through the voting lobbies. Let's just fucking wave it through. Yes, we'd like to extend the emergency powers in the COVID Act for the next six months. No problem. No problem. You do what you want. You fuck what's left of the country. You wreck whatever's left of it. We'll just wave it through. The the party of the worker. And they have the temerity. They have the fucking balls to go on television and radio and complain when a handful of people say to them, you disgusting fucking traitor, you filth bag, look at the fucking state of the country now because you didn't ask a single question. Yes, it's 26 minutes past five. Anyway, some inversion that, eh? Lindsay, Lindsay Hoyle, some inversion. The inversion where he says they, that they shouldn't be prevented from doing their jobs when, of course, they're, they're not doing their jobs. Um, here's James O'Brien's take on it. He's LBC's mid-morning guy. Still laughing at David Lammy. I'm a tough guy from Tottenham. The Suggs weren't going to get the better of me and Keir Starmer. Jesus. Lee Marvin and Chuck Norris, eh? Anyway, uh, here's James O'Brien. Bear with me now, right? This guy, O'Brien, and his take on all of this this morning. Is the Prime Minister responsible for the attacks upon Keir Starmer and his colleagues yesterday? And the answer is obviously yes, but only in part. And the reason I would say that to you is because the element of the abuse and attack directed at the leader of the opposition that focused directly and was spawned directly from Boris Johnson's lie in the House of Commons, which he has attempted, obviously, to um, sort of retreat from without admitting that he lied in the first place, only formed a small part of the abuse directed at the leader of the opposition. And these people would have been there anyway. I've, I've had the misfortune... Same misfortune. I mean, it can be quite amusing, but there's always that worry in the back of your mind that this 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 one might be the real wrong one. I've had the misfortune of encountering these mobs myself on occasion. James O'Brien is a liar. He's a dangerous liar. His lies are so pathological. You probably couldn't even sue O'Brien for libel if he libeled you, because the judge would probably find that he's insane. But he's also acutely narcissistic. And this is what guys like O'Brien do, this Brent-esque Muppet who presents for LBC. They always put themselves in the story. Now O'Brien's going to talk about how he himself was, was faced down by a hate mob. Well, just for being, for being a fearless journalist. 
uh, I told you the story. I, I was sort of almost like a Wimbledon um, uh, viewer, a Wimbledon spectator. He was like a Wimbledon viewer, a Wimbledon spectator. Wimbledon, I, I think he's referring to the tennis and not to the crazy gang, right? With a, a fellow on one side accusing me of being a massive racist because I'd blocked him on Twitter and a fellow on the other side accusing me of supporting a, a satanic paedophile plot. Right, so O'Brien found himself one day in London with two people standing on either side of him. Hence, the, he felt like he was at Wimbledon looking to the right and to the left as the ball goes over the net. So the first guy was saying to him, you're a racist because you blocked me on Twitter, while holding a phone at O'Brien, recording him. And the other guy was also recording O'Brien, telling O'Brien at the very same time that he is a defender or a, a protector of satanic paedophile rings. I just don't believe this. Because I was in favour of the coronavirus vaccine. I kid you not. And, and they were deadly serious. And they both put cameras in your face. I'm told they make their... They both put cameras in your face. ...their money from these so-called live streams. They don't make any money from those live streams, even though it never happened. But let's just pretend it did happen. They don't make any money at all from live streams. You really think that Google is financing that stuff? You really think that you can go live streaming you and talking about satanic paedophiles to you and that Google is going to remunerate you for that? Doesn't happen. On YouTube. And, and I can still, you can hear it in my voice, I still snigger at these people. I still find myself, I, I still find them completely ridiculous. But then one wonders, I wonder how many people have not got themselves vaccinated because of watching these idiots on YouTube. I That's the payoff, isn't it? I wonder how many people didn't get vaccinated because they saw these idiots on YouTube. That is an amazing set of circumstances, that. There you are, minding your own business on YouTube, and you happen upon a video of a guy pointing a camera at James O'Brien and telling him that he's responsible for satanic paedophiles, and he's also a racist. And you look at that and you go, well, I'm not having my fucking vaccine. I'm not having my vaccine. Preposterous, isn't it? But but this is where it's all heading. You know, ultimately, with the, the removal of everything, the hegemony of newspeak and everything else to be banned, and those who might say it or who might upload it or who might produce it to be banned, to be demonetized, deplatformed, and banned. I wonder how many people have genuinely persuaded themselves that there's a satanic paedophile conspiracy. And I'm afraid at this point... The have you heard anybody say that the vaccine rollout is the, is the brainchild of a satanic paedophile conspiracy because I haven't heard anybody say that. Parallels with QAnon and with American politics that a caller to this programme raised last week are impossible to refute or resist. You simply can't do it. Mm, QAnon now. You know, the idea that Keir Starmer is, is part of some conspiracy to protect paedophiles like Jimmy Savile, which was the clear uh, accusation being levelled at him yesterday, is... Mm, no, they asked him about Jimmy Savile. He was asked loudly, definitely loudly, no doubt about that, about Jimmy Savile. Uh, nobody accused him of being part of a conspiracy to protect Jimmy Savile, but we will talk in a second about exactly what happened when Keir Starmer was Director of Public Prosecutions, because it is kind of interesting. It is born of exactly the same... Uh, toxic, bonkers rhetoric that spawned the whole QAnon movement. And I, I, I think Boris Johnson knew exactly what he was doing when he threw it into the mix. And I now have even more sympathy for the non-mad elements of the American media than I had when they were trying to cover Donald Trump's lies. Because what do you do? Boris Johnson is prime minister. You can't ignore what he says. 
Donald Trump was president. He claimed the election was stolen from him. How do you cover someone who is prepared to go to places that our civilization is not equipped to accommodate? Our civilization is equipped to accommodate dangerous liars on YouTube. We've seen the damage that they can do on Facebook, but our societies, our political frameworks are not structured in a way that can accommodate the men at the very top of the pyramid engaging in the sort of dangerous lies. You've got to be fucking shitting me, right? You have got to be fucking shitting me. He couldn't be saying that, is Look, he? But our societies, our political frameworks are not structured in a way that can accommodate the men at the very top of the pyramid engaging in the sort of dangerous lies that you would expect from Piers Corbyn or... Wow. Wow. I could be here all day. Iraq. Iran. Afghanistan. Libya. Libya. There's one for you. Syria. Uh, how, how long do you have? When it comes to the men at the top telling dangerous lies, our society isn't structured to cope with the men at the top telling such dangerous lies. They've been telling lies for, for years, lies that have resulted in the, the, the directly resulted in the, the deaths, the murder of millions of people. And that's only in the last 30 years. How could you say that with a straight face? We're, we're equipped to deal with uh, Uncle Johnny on Facebook when he's telling lies about the vaccines, but we're just not able to, to cope with liars like Boris Johnson. Are you fucking shitting me? Where have you been for the last 20 years? My God. The lies told about Syria, about Assad, about the destruction of Syria, the lies about Gaddafi, hundreds of thousands of people, Yemen, Saudi Arabia. Let's go back a bit further. Iraq, Afghanistan. Are you shitting me? I said to Spiro yesterday, and I've said it to other people, the mask is gone now. These fuckers are not even trying to pretend that they are not what they are. Astonishing stuff, this. Astonishing, and it all leads, it's all going down one road. The sort of censorship that we feared for years in the independent media, that we trembled at. It's coming. It really is coming. I'm talking about the knocking on doors, the confiscating of equipment. I'm taking steps here. I really am. I really am to try and protect the, the, the future of the Richie Allen radio show. I don't need any money for that, by the way. This isn't a, this isn't a, a funding drive, something I never do, by the way. Please acknowledge that. Uh, but to protect the equipment. There's thousands of pounds worth of equipment here. BBC studio here I'm broadcasting from. They're coming for the independent media. This is where it's all going. We can't have people out there running around asking questions. Like, why did you not oppose lockdowns? Why did you agree with the vaccine mandates? Why did you agree with the vaccines? They're killing people. You're a traitor, Starmer. And of course, he is a traitor. It doesn't mean you should lay a finger on him. Don't lay a finger on him, or any of them. Violence begets violence. The whole, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. It's absolutely true. It's 100% true. Don't do it. It's not the way to beat them. And it's what they want anyway. Don't run after them. Don't jostle them. Don't grab people around the neck like that kid grabbed Chris Whitty around the neck as detestable, as deplorable, as disgusting as Chris Whitty is. Don't touch him. Any of them. There's another way to beat these people. 
But Christ, those people had every right to stand there yesterday and see Keir Starmer and David Lammy walk across the road. Two laughing boys, the fucking Chuckle Brothers. Millionaires. Millionaires. They gave that David Lammy his own radio show, LBC. A fucking radio show. This is what's going on. I've been saying this for years. They're replacing journalists with politicians. Fucking Farage, GB News, David Lammy, Boris Johnson's sister. They're putting the politicians on the air. It's absolutely... This is my Frank Grimes moment. He of the nuclear power plant in Springfield in The Simpsons. This is just absolutely insane what's happening. Where this is going. And this is a key... It's a pivotal year this year, 2022. It's pivotal. Where This particular year, with their online harms bill what they're going to try and do to people who, who, who dare even interview somebody. Imagine that you'd have to live in fear. And I do live in fear of them coming to confiscate, confiscate the equipment, of them coming to arrest somebody like me because I might interview a guy from Harvard who might say the vaccines are dangerous. They're, they're dangerous and they're not necessary. Therefore, you should seriously consider not having them. That will be a crime very soon that in this country and you know I don't lie you know I don't exaggerate you know damn well when I say that to you it's the truth it's proposed in the online harms bill knowingly spreading medical misinformation that might harm somebody because you interview that doctor from Harvard he's got qualifications coming out of his arse he or she says don't have the jab well that could harm somebody because they might not have the jab they might get COVID, they might die. They might give it to Granny, she might die. So we have to stop you from saying that stuff. And not you, because I don't say that stuff because I'm not qualified to say it. But I have facilitated others saying those things. Because it's public service broadcasting on this programme. You have to know this stuff. But this is where it's going, it's astonishing. Astonishing to be laughing at the idea of paedophiles. Satanic paedophile rings, paedophile rings laughing. James O'Brien knows that a former Prime Minister of this country, Edward Heath, was a serial abuser of young boys. James O'Brien also knows that some of those boys were murdered and thrown off of Heath's yacht, the morning cloud. Thrown off the fucking yacht by his security detail. This is not conjecture, it's fact. O'Brien knows this. And he also knows that one of uh, Edward Heath, former Prime Minister Edward Heath, one of his chief whips, Tim Fortescue, told this to the BBC back in 1997. Anyone with any sense who was in trouble would come to the whips and, and tell them the truth and say, now this, I'm in a jam, can you help? It might be debt, it might be um, a scandal involving small boys, or any kind of scandal which... Um, a member seemed likely to be mixed up in. Seemed likely to be mixed up in. Debt or a scandal involving small boys. Or anything that a member might be likely to be mixed up in. What's going on? It was an epidemic in Westminster then. Is it an epidemic in Westminster now? I don't know. It would be wrong of me to speculate, but back in the 1970s, MPs were raping children. It was an open secret. It was well known. Nobody wanted to touch it. 
Not the media, not anybody. And James O'Brien will know that. That was Tim Fortescue. And when an MP came to the the whip and said, uh, I'm in trouble, uh, Chief Whip, why, (sighs) you know, I've just been... Just been raping small boys, you see. Well, we'll get you out of the jam. They'd come and ask if we could help. And if we could, we did. We did. And we would do everything we can because we would store up brownie points. Brownie points, imagine. Mm. If I mean, that sounds a pretty pretty nasty reason. But no, it doesn't sound nasty at all. It sounds perfectly reasonable to me that you would be sitting in front of a filthy pederast, a scumbag, slime, vermin, the worst of the fucking worst, who admits to you that he's raping boys and you say, ah, don't worry about it, listen, you know the way you should vote next Thursday now on the appropriations bill, don't you? Don't you? Epidemic. Pedophilia. Satanic element to it. You want to get into that, start reading some of David Icke's books going back years. And the testimony of thousands of people. I've interviewed psychotherapists on this programme who'd never even heard of satanic pedophilia. It had never entered their lives. They had never come across it. And all of a sudden, they start hearing from people coming to them and telling them stories about ritualistic abuse. People from all over the world, different parts of the world. So what of the claim that, that, that Keir Starmer, I know I'm going off on a few tangents here today, it's not the way I normally do things, forgive me, I'm fairly excitable today. Did, what, 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 what's the truth about Keir Starmer and Jimmy Savile? Well, Jimmy Savile was interviewed in late 2009. He was interviewed once, was he, or twice by the police because a number of people had come forward to say that he was a filthy abuser. He's, uh, he was getting on a bit, Jimmy, at the time, of course. Um, there's a brilliant article in the Mail by Andrew Pierce on this. You should be able to find it really easily using a search engine. Andrew Pierce, Jimmy Savile, Keir Starmer. You'll find it. Very, very good. Okay. A national treasurer was facing searching questions from police about historic claims of child abuse. October 2009... And it seemed Jimmy Savile might finally have to pay for his crimes. Four women had come forward to allege he had attacked them, two saying they were only 14 at the time. It was one of the most explosive police interviews of the year, and you might reasonably expect that the head of the Crown Prosecution Service would have been closely involved in checking that the case was being handled properly. So who was the prosecutorial chief at this time? Step forward. Sir Keir Starmer. Two years after those police interviews, Savile died. He was 84. Died in 2011. He died after giving those interviews. Nothing was done about Savile. After he died back in, in 2013, the true scale of his depravity came to light. He had raped at least 34 women and girls and sexually abused or assaulted up to 450 including children as young as eight. A shaken Keir Starmer, still the Director of Public Prosecutions, set up an inquiry chaired by Alison Levitt QC. The Levitt Inquiry. This concluded that at least three prosecutions against Savile would have been possible in 2009, 
if police and prosecutors had taken a different approach. Levitt also blasted the Crown Prosecution Service for deleting all records of the Savile case from its systems in 2010. Deleting all the fucking records of the Savile case from its systems in 2010. He didn't write that, uh, Andrew Pierce. That's me. That's me editorialising there. You think that was an accident? They deleted the files? About the record-breaking pedophile Jimmy Savile, the best friend of old jug ears, Lizzie's, Lizzie's eldest boy, eh? Think it was an accident? So Levitt was scathing in her condemnation of the Director of Public Prosecution's office, headed up by Keir Starmer. Your office had two chances, three chances, to prosecute the bastard. But you didn't, and then you deleted all the fucking records, Keir. Not Keir Starmer personally. There's no evidence of that. But Starmer was the man. And Andrew Pierce makes a brilliant point in his article, which was published about a week or so ago. A brilliant point. The idea that Starmer wouldn't get personally involved in something as high profile as one of the, the UK's most famous ever television presenters. Radio presenters. The idea that he wouldn't be keeping an eye on it is bullshit. Of course he would. His career was on the line, Starmer. Anywho, the report, Levitt's report, didn't indicate that Starmer himself had been involved, but Starmer, deeply contrite, said, I would like to take the opportunity to apologise for the shortcomings in the part played by the Crown Prosecution Service in these cases. Now tell me that you've got a problem with Boris Johnson saying to Starmer, all you were any good for when you served as a DPP was going after journalists and basically turning a blind eye to guys like Jimmy Savile. Where's the outrage? Why is the legacy media or the mainstream media repeating day in, day out that the claim, Johnson's claim, is false? Why are they saying that? It isn't false, obviously. Johnson has nothing to apologise for. I loathe Boris Johnson. I despise him. I can't stand the sight of him or the sound of him or anyone connected to him. But he was right, wasn't he? What were you doing back then when Savile was giving these interviews? What was going on for two years? He didn't ask any of those questions. Johnson could have asked about the files. What happened to the files, Keir? I'll answer your questions on Sue Gray's inquiry into whether or not I had a fucking birthday cake during lockdown if you can tell us what happened to the files. The Savile files. Any idea, Keir, what happened to the Savile files? Eh? I wonder, are, are the disappearance of the Savile files, are they connected to your rapid ascent in the world of politics, I wonder? I wonder, Keir. Maybe you might care to answer that question and then I might talk about Sue Gray. This is the Richie Allen Show. The time is 13 minutes to uh, the top of the hour. My name is Richie Allen, the BBG Life from Solver. Glenn Fry. Glenn Fry, the heat is on. Beverly Hills Cop, the soundtrack, wasn't it? Uh, on the Richie Allen Show, when a uh, Tuesday, I'm getting ahead of myself, Tuesday's edition, Ian Josephs will be live on the programme from Monaco shortly. You really do not want to miss that, trust me. 
it's hugely important. It's something that we haven't talked about for some time. It's depressing. It's also compelling. And Ian is a compelling individual. He's lived in in Monaco, in, in France. Um, for, for Well, I know Monaco is in France, of course. But he's lived in the area for years and years. He's got a law degree. And he's he's a bit of an angel, really. He's worked with people who have come on this programme over the years to talk about their own experiences with social services and the family courts. You know, when social services make a complaint about a parent or parents and recommend that there, that an intervention takes place, that the child is removed from his or her home. And um, as I said, you know, not always for... For, for good reasons. And in fact, from, from what I can understand from the research I've done over the years, the child who is being sexually abused or physically abused, that tends to be the exception. It obviously happens. But when the local authority and the family courts intervene, it's often the exception to the rule. Uh, the rule is usually children who are being taken away because the parent has had some problem in the parent's past maybe a recovering addict, maybe. Maybe the parent has had depression or has had some sort of, um, I don't know, mental well-being issue. Maybe the parent or parents, maybe at one time, were associated with somebody who maybe committed a crime or maybe the mum who's on her own has a boyfriend and maybe the boyfriend is deemed to be no good by social services and that might put the child in harm's way. I'm not making this stuff up, this goes on. There are well over 100,000 children in care in the UK at the moment. Uh, the great Marilyn Hawes was on the programme last week talking about this in, in the wake of the news that grooming gangs are just not going away. You see, grooming gangs prey on children who have been taken from their parents and put into foster care or into residential care. Paedophiles prey on them. It's open season on these children. And the... Alexis J, is that her name? Am I remembering this right? The Independent Inquiry into Child Sex Abuse, which is still going on. They published a report last week saying that grooming gangs not going away. It's not since Rotherham, since Rochdale, big scandals. Think of Maggie Oliver, think of Sarah Champion, think of those girls who came forward. Wonderful people, Maggie Oliver, that, that former detective, the work she's done on exposing grooming gangs. And um, it's, it's still going on, yeah. So, so th- this issue is interlinked. Forced ad- adoption, the, the, the forcible removal, the forceful removal of a child from his or her parents for no good reason, put into care. It's a billion pound a year industry. A billion pound a year industry. I go running around Salford, around Manchester, and you still come across the bus shelter advertisements asking, you know, basically looking for foster parents, for new foster parents. You could earn £569 a week per child. Why don't you think about fostering? Go to this website, supply and demand issue. The agencies make millions and millions. One of them sold for £130 million a couple of years back. So um, I saw a story today. I took it and I rewrote it, rejigged it. Always give credit to the source, of course. It was the Mail Online. Uh, it was announced last night that teachers are being trained and will be trained 
to intervene when, when the children's parents are bickering too much at home, as this may result in the children not doing so well in life. Their life chances might be impacted by parents who argue too much. The teachers will be told how to spot signs of parental conflict and to step in to support parents to ensure those children don't suffer. It could mean the parents of a troubled child basically being offered counselling, directed to counselling by the child's teacher. Others working closely with families in sectors such as policing, health and social care will be given the training by councils in England. Police, social workers, looking at children for signs that the parents might be arguing. In light of the last two years and what the state has done to families, what the state has done to people's mental health through tyrannical lockdowns and through the terror tactics of Sage and Boris Johnson and his goons, what do you think that's done to people's mental well-being? I would imagine, I have no evidence to support this, but I would imagine that things are more tense in families than they've ever been before. Money worries, rising bills, food prices going through the roof, everything that's happened in the last two years, job prospects going down, down the pisser. Well, we know what happens. People get tense, they get fearful, they get scared, they argue. And they're telling, they're spending millions now looking for the signs that kids might be in a home where arguing might be going on and we might need to intervene. And this has got nothing to do with the well-being of children, in my opinion. It's to do with nothing other then another strand, another way to stealing children from loving parents because children are commodities. A child is worth a fortune to the agencies, to the local authorities, to the foster parents who take them on. And then, of course, it's manna from heaven to paedophiles, isn't it? The time is uh, coming up for three minutes to the top of the air. This is Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. I am Richie Allen. I'm with you, as uh, always, till seven o'clock. Off to Monaco shortly to speak to Ian Josephs, and he'll give you the lowdown on how it came to be that the state could take children from parents who've never broken the law and who have never harmed a hair on their child's head. You don't want to miss this because it's still going on. We've spent uh, most of the last two years talking about the scamdemic, but this stuff is is really going on. Uh, here's music from uh, Desiree. Back with Ian Josephs. And uh, if you've got questions for him or comments to make on this subject, please leave them at my website, richieallen.co.uk. That's the best place to leave comments then. Two minutes to six o'clock then it is. Music from Desiree and you got to be on the Richie Allen Show. It's exactly six o'clock. Welcome back to the programme. If you're just joining me, uh, Tuesday's programme, 
let me, before I introduce my guest, let me just remind you of what I told you on the other side of that song. It's been announced today that teachers will be paid to attend training courses where they will be taught to spot the signs that children may be living in homes where a lot of bickering is going on. You got that right. Children will be trained to observe, not just children, but police officers and social workers, to go looking for evidence that children are living in homes where things might be a bit tense, where there might be arguments going on, and they'll also be trained to intervene and to direct parents towards counselling services or God knows what. A few years ago, I was contacted by a number of women. It was exclusively women, quite a few years ago. They said, Richie, our children were taken from us for no reason. I didn't believe them at the time. I thought, well, you must have done something wrong. Did you beat the children? Was someone sexually abusing the children? Did you neglect them? Were you not feeding them? But, but none of that was true. Their children were taken away from them because of something called risk of future emotional harm. I explained it earlier on. I won't explain it again. Maybe Ian will get into it in a moment. They said to me, Richie, you've got to speak to a gentleman called Ian Josephs in France. Monaco, you've got to speak to him. He's been living there. He's got a law degree. Even though he doesn't practice law, he's very learned. And he has helped a number, in fact dozens, maybe more, people avoid the fate of losing their children to the state through the family court system. He runs a website which is called forced-adoption.net. I highly recommend it. If, if this is brushing you at all, if you're coming up against this issue in any way, whether it's a cousin, a brother, a sister, if social services are snooping around your home, uh, get on to forced-adoption.net. It's a real pleasure to welcome back to the programme. It's been several years now since we last spoke to uh, Ian Josephs. Ian, it's lovely to welcome you back. How are you? I'm great, thank you, and I'm glad to be back. And let me say straight away, my, my website is forced-adoption.com. Not dot something else, which you said. Oh, did I did I say dot net? That's because I'm a, a bit of an That's idiot. Right. My yeah. apologies. Um, I expect people would find it anyway. But I was interested first in what you said about this uh, new initiative to for teachers to to decide on who's bickering bickering couples, um, because to me it's a complete, totally false premise to say that children are emotionally disturbed by bickering. They might be by physical injuries caused by parents one to each other. But children at school and when they're young, they're continually bickering with each other. They're continually quarreling with each other. It's normal family life. Why should they expect uh, their parents to be any different? There's no reason why they shouldn't. And in fact, I made uh, the president of the family court, the then president, Sir James Mumby, laugh at a debate at which he was chair and I was speaking. And uh, the previous speaker, a social worker, had said much the same thing, that that children would have to be taken if there was violent bickering, if people were shouting and screaming at each other. And I said, well, if you applied that rule in Italy, none of the families would have any children left at all. You'd take millions, because they all do that. But on the other hand, their family uh, 
their, their families are stronger linked because they don't throw their old people out into homes. They keep them living there, even if they're a nuisance. So, you know, the family link is stronger in Italy, but they certainly scream and shout at each other, but it's a way of life. There was a lot of and, screaming uh, and shouting went on. I grew up in a council estate called Ballybeg, and yeah. there wasn't much money around, Ian, back in the late 70s, early 80s. A lot of people yeah. were unemployed. And my friends, I went to a primary school there. A lot of my friends and myself, we lived in homes where where things were tense when, when times were tough and our parents would have screaming matches with one another. But I'm pretty certain it didn't do me any harm at all. I'm sure it didn't, and it probably didn't do your parents much harm because it's the way they, they the way they lived. You know, I mean, I've been married over fifty years. My wife's French, and she <laughs> has put it delicately been known to raise her voice more than once. Yeah. So you know, it's 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 nonsense. Children should expect their parents to quarrel. If they don't, if they're two people who never say a word. Uh, against each other um, uh, chances are they'll be divorced soon because they've got nothing much to say if they've nothing got no much to say. now listen um, there, there, there are quite a few things you want to get into and I'm, I, I really want to get out of your way we're going to talk about four issues that yeah. you um, got in touch with but just before we get into that look I do sometimes shoot from the hip a little bit it's probably not wise for me to do it often but I do I look at it and I look back on our interviews reading your website, watching your presentations and the speeches you've given over the years on YouTube and elsewhere. When I hear things like that, we we need to train people to look for signs of arguing. That to me, look, I know things are not black and white all of the time, but I think that's, that's clear evidence that they're looking for excuses to take children. Well, it's the money because it's a money-driven industry. Two billion. I mean, every child costs the, uh, and these are official figures, costs the uh, exchequer two um, thousand nine hundred a week when it's averaged out. Two thousand nine hundred pounds a week, while the average child probably costs about twenty or thirty or forty pounds a week to, to the Feed average family. I mean, it's it's just it's just ridiculous, but. I mean, they get put in these children's homes, for example, uh, if they run away from foster care, and the, the fees are three to four thousand a week there, and and that's three or four times what it costs to send Prince Harry to Eton, and they don't get Eton; they get a terraced house in Northside Manchester or somewhere with the paint peeling off, run by a bunch of pedos. You know, it's a, now, it's run, a run, 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 run by a bunch of pedos. Isn't it interesting that Alexis J? last week said the the woman who's heading up the independent inquiry into child sex abuse, she said that grooming gangs have not gone gone away since the Rotherham-Rochdale scandals, that in fact there are more of them and they're doing quite well. And I interviewed, and I do speak to her quite often, Marilyn Hawes, who's a great lady, former school teacher, and she said that the forced adoption industry feeds paedophiles. It basically hands, delivers uh, children into the arms of of paedophiles. Do you go along with that? Well, to a certain extent, I don't say all adopters are paedophiles, but a small minority probably are, because if you are, let's put yourself in the nasty position for a minute of being a paedophile. You're one, I'm one, right? Well, we want a child completely at our mercy so that no one can interfere with what we do. So we've got to put up with it while it's a baby, but as soon as it's four or five years old, we can do our nasties. Well, let's adopt one. 
If we can't do that and we're turned down for some reason, well, then there's all these children's homes and we make friends with them and give them some drink and, and take them around and then we do what we have to do. These poor kids go to the police and go to the social workers and say, we don't want to do this, please, we're being forced. And the answer is, and this is what it was in Rotherham, that's your choice. We can't stop, you know, we can't stop you. And they say, well, we don't want to go with these people, but they're threatening to, to harm our families if we don't keep on doing what they want. This is the, this is the horrific state of affairs, uh, and, and, it, uh, and it's un, un, unnecessary because severe measures should, should, be, should be taken when they're caught. And certainly any child who's being forced into some kind of prostitution uh, should, uh, sh should, should be listened to, but they're disbelieved. I mean, I've had plenty of experience helping parents uh, um, who, um, with children who complained that uh, they were in foster care and the, the parents were very nice and everything, but they got a son uh, of, of 15 and he was interfering with the two little girls who were put there of, of eight and nine. Um, and and they, they, when they reported this, the result was that all contact between parents and children was stopped for good. I mean, that, that because you're not allowed by your contract when you have, con when you have um, um, contact at the contact centre with your children, you have to sign something and say you're not going to discuss uh, the case, you're not going to discuss the court, and you're not going to make any criticism of, of the uh, fosterers or of social workers. You, you, they have to sign all that before they, you know, complete dereliction of free speech, before they can even see their children. They're not allowed, if they're foreign, to speak any, lang any language other than Italy, even if they can hardly speak English at all, you know it's it's a, it's a, they're bound hand hand and foot. It's a, it's a terrible system that. Um, but people uh, don't believe this. Be, it should be changed. Free speech. It, of course I it should. An, Sorry, can I just jump in? People yeah. do not believe what you've just said. I I didn't believe this on when I first spoke with you, when I spoke with Emma Ibbotson, when I spoke with Sharon Gale and others. I didn't believe it. Um, I, I'm polite, so I listen and I think, right, I didn't believe it. I had to go and check out every single one of those claims for myself to find out that this is actually happening. And when I tell people this, they do not believe it. They look at me and they think, well, you, we, you, you don't normally pull our legs, Richie. You don't normally tell us, you know, barefaced lies. But this is not going on. Uh, children are not being taken for no good reason. Uh, there, there isn't such a thing as secret family courts. None of that is really going on. Where free speech is completely, you know, obliterated. Where, where, where the press cannot report. Where the press cannot go and watch and observe. They don't believe this is going on. And to this yeah, it's day, simple, it's simple enough to it's simple enough it's simple yeah. enough to prove. I've I've got example contracts which the people have had to sign before they see their children. And as for the secret courts, there's plenty of people in jail for, yeah. <laughs> because they've objected. And and people concentrate on the wrong wrong thing. People on our side do when they talk about the secret courts and people should be allowed in. It's not that the people should be allowed in. The most important thing is that parents should be allowed to protest. 
first. Somebody takes a baby at birth from the mother. She's carried it for nine months. They come in and snatch it at birth for risk of future harm. And if she goes to the newspapers or goes to the media, she'll be jailed. She can talk about it to individuals. She has no freedom of speech, no freedom to protest. And that's the essence of democracy that's supposed to distinguish us from China and so forth, that, that we are allowed to protest at least peacefully. But they're not allowed to protest if their children are taken. They cannot give their names, they cannot give the names of their children because it's invading their privacy, they say. This is an example of where judges, I'm afraid, completely perverted uh, the, the, the law because the law stated the human rights. It states that all people, are enti- all families are entitled to a private life undisturbed by authority. Now that the people who drafted oh, that ironic. obviously obviously did that to protect families from authority. That was obviously their motive. And I was at law school. I was told you should always interpret the law to try and mean what you think the people who drafted it meant. And that was the obvious thing. But the lawyers in England completely distorted and said, yes, you're entitled to a private life, and that applies to the baby. So if the mother's had a baby taken, or a young child, and goes to the press and and they publish it and she goes on the media and goes on the internet, uh, that's invading the poor baby's privacy. Therefore, she goes to jail if she doesn't take it down at once. They won't send her first time, and if she still sticks it on, uh, they'll, they'll, she's in jail. And, and Harriet Harman, who was the last Home Secretary to release figures, said that over 200 um, parents were jailed for that very offence. There was a uh, there was the a year. woman there was a, a woman came on this program some years ago, and yeah. she was arrested after coming on with me. She knew she would be, and was was had made her peace with it. She'd gone, she'd gone everywhere and nobody would, would talk to her. Uh, her child was taken for risk of future emotional harm because she, the mother, had um, an on-off relationship with, uh, with, with an ex-con. And it was yeah. decided that he wasn't a great influence on the child, even though he didn't live there. And if the mm. mother didn't break it off with him, child would be taken. Child was taken. As far as I know, she's still not seen the child to this day. Arrested for what? For going public? For, for coming on the program? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you, you, you people, the, the, the solicitors and social workers lie to their clients and tell them you mustn't discuss this with anyone, not even your own family. That's a black lie. You are by law allowed to discuss your case and give details of your case to any individuals. What you can't do is go public, internet. Uh, TV, press, anything like that. You have but to you take are it in. Allowed to discuss it with anyone you like, and as long as you don't mention any names, like, like I shan't do in, the, in, in this program, yeah. you're not committing an offence either. You can go public about a, an anonymous case, or you can discuss the actual case with anyone you like, who's an individual. But one of the big mistakes, I think, that people like myself uh, who, who who want to reform, who want things to stop like this, well, you should have a program of reform. You should, you should say what, what you want. It always annoys me when people go on strike and they don't say what they actually want. You know, and, and I think in this case, what, what, what the chief thing would be to repeal the Children Act of 1989 because the four worst features of child protection, so-called, uh, are all embedded in that 1989 Act. Let me ask you a quick uh, question. Let me ask you a quick question. This is because fa- you're going to talk about this now. Where, yeah, yeah. where, where we are, to, and I'm going to shut up, where we are today is traced back 
the beginnings of it to the Children Act of 1989. Now, what I find fascinating about this, and you might tell me that it's totally irrelevant, is that when the Children's Act of 1989, we're talking the Conservative Party was in power then. Margaret Thatcher was, this is supposed to be the party of small, conservative with a small C, or or government with a small G. You know, a, a party that promoted the government staying out of the lives of people. So I, I, I find that compelling, really, that the Tories brought this about. Is is there anything noteworthy about that? Who were the very driving forces? Very noteworthy indeed, yeah, because it was very cunningly put in. When you, when you have a, um, an act of parliament with three or four hundred pages of legalese writing, most of the MPs don't read the lot and don't understand it. It's just a general import. Yeah. And as far as they were concerned, this was a, a, a thing that was going to help children. What they didn't see was, for example, that the law as it stood said that if a, if a, if a child suffers significant harm as a result of actions by its parents, uh, the local authority has the power to take that child into care. I agree with that. That was nothing wrong with the law. They added five, six words on, which nobody noticed. Nobody even knew they were there, but they were just added on by, by sort of other people who had an agenda. And those five or six words were that the, the local authority, if the child has suffered significant harm, or is likely to suffer it, or is likely to suffer that opened the door to wild guesses about the future by so-called experts who could say, we're experts and we think that you're going to do this. You're, you're a mother, but you, you don't know the future like we do. Uh, and and that, that opens the door for thousands of cases. It's what distinguishes, and people don't make this, between Europe and, 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 the, and, the, and, and the UK, because they don't go for, for crystal ball gazing in the other countries. They're, they do have some forced adoption, but it's rare. And in England, it's endemic. It's the first target. But it also, in this case, this, this idea of um, a policeman can arrest you if you commit a crime, and that's, uh, nobody would disagree Fair with enough, that, hardly. Yeah. Not even a criminal. But a policeman cannot arrest you for a crime that he thinks you're going to commit next year, can he? No, that's Philip K. Dick. That's Minority Report. I, I mentioned this today. Isn't it exactly? Yeah, Minority Report. That film with Tom, uh, what's his name, and yeah. and, and uh, he he um, uh, they they arrested people for a murder they hadn't committed yet, and of course it ended up in chaos. But just because they thought some people could, and if these if these social workers and judges and all the rest of them think they can, they can as they say. Uh, tell from past actions what the likely future is going to be. And a very nice judge on one of my videos said that, and he's ever such a nice fellow. But he sincerely believed that. He should throw away his wig, throw away his robes, go down to the betting shop and win on the, the Grand National and other races. If, if you can tell from the past what's going to happen in the future, but you can't. Or get a crystal ball, get a crystal ball and go and set up a tent in Blackpool and work as a fortune teller. Tell me this, we have a Supreme Court in this country. I've yeah. been I've been watching Jonathan Sumption in recent months. Uh, thank, yeah. Thankfully, thankfully, at least one voice standing up against the tyranny of of lockdowns and the tyranny of telling people where they can and can't go. Look, we might agree or disagree on that. It doesn't matter. But Sumption was there. And when thinking about forced adoption, Ian. By the way, folks, Ian Josephs is our guest. Forced hyphen adoption dot com. Get on the website. This is really important. Do you know what I was thinking? Where where was the Supreme Court? Did anybody attempt 
to, to challenge in law this ridiculous extra six words or, or, or is likely to be harmed. Where was the Supreme yeah. Court on that? Um, yeah, nobody took it up. I suppose, I suppose somebody could have taken it up um, as being unjust. But when you get the, the um, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Lady Hales, who seems a very decent sort of woman and certainly milder in her opinions than most of her colleagues, but nevertheless, she said this was one of the, this was the greatest act to help children that had ever been passed. So <laughs> she approved of it. Um, so what, what what can you do? She gave that ruling in advance before anyone challenged it. That's absolutely... That's mind-boggling to me. It's mind-boggling to me. So, so, so 89 then, this is when... This is obviously the, the red-letter year. Uh, children thought likely to suffer harm. You also talked about the human right to privacy extended to babies, which, which of course is problematic. Parents couldn't ask a friend to represent them in court. Why was that significant? Well, it's, it's, it's significant because nearly all the lawyers, only one in, four, one in 400 care orders are refused, 399 are accepted. Why? Not because the lawyers are doing a bad job, they're doing a good job, except they do the job for the local authority. The lo- if, I always say to people, if you commit a crime, shoplifting or whatever, get a, get a criminal lawyer to help you. And if you knock someone down with your bicycle and they break their leg and they sue you, we'll get a, get a civil lawyer to help you. Yeah. If someone threatens to take away a child, never get a family court lawyer because they, they nearly always, what they do is say to the parents, we will speak for you. You've no need to say anything. And then they, when they, it's their turn to speak, they say, yes, uh, the best thing is for the child to go into care. And they agree to it. That happens again and again and again. The poor, the poor, poor parent has sat there saying nothing and, and has listened to all the terrible things that are alleged by the social workers. And by sitting nothing, they can't show the judge that they're not crazy, they haven't got mental problems that would make them unfit to look after children, that they, they aren't habitual drunks and, and, and drug users who can't stand up. But, you know, they, 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 things are said about them which, which they get no opportunity to deny. And, and, and the best way I always tell, I say, represent yourself. Why? Well, we don't know anything about the law. You may not know anything about the law, but at least you can prove to the judge that you're a reasonable, normal person who doesn't scream and shout and, and, and get into tantrums. You can speak and for yourself. And doesn't do all these terrible things they accuse you of. I've got to pull you up. I've got to pull you up. I've got to pull you up because it would be wrong of me not to. You, you're, you're, you're alleging that most or all of the family court lawyers or solicitors who represent the poor misfortunate parent you're kind of alleging that they're corrupt by telling the parent who's at risk of losing their child not to speak let me speak for you and then kind of stitching the parent up in conversation with the judge now there, there might very well be family court solicitors listening to this and they might be screaming at me to say to you, "Come on, where's the proof of that?" Most solicitors do the, the best. Proof of that, do the best the by their client. That, the proof. The proof of that. It's. I don't accuse them of being corrupt. By the way, I, what I they. I think they're doing what they think is in the best interest of the children. They think right from the start that it's best for the children that the social workers must be right, and it's best for the children to go into care. That's what they think. So I don't think they're corrupt. They're just mistaken in their in their views, and they're used to a, and they're used to a routine. The proof of it is. That, like I say, official judicial statistics show that out of all the care orders that are applied for, 
only one in 400 are refused. Yeah. Well, if you go to a criminal court, out of the people who plead not guilty, about half of them will be found guilty and half of them won't. But when it, when it, when it goes all one way, it shows that, that, it, that it's biased. One they in don't 400. Have a private Nobody says they have a private chat with a judge. They don't need to. They give their evidence, um, the, the lawyers for the opposition. The lawyers for the parents... Um, tell them, you be quiet, we'll talk for you, and they make a very half-hearted plea, uh, and, and then they, they agree with the judge, they agree with the care order. They're put in to, 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 to try and get, help the children, help the parents keep their children, and they agree with the care order. You look at the number of cases where the, where the lawyers either agree with the care order or, or try to sound reasonable and say, well, we won't oppose it and we won't agree to it. We'll stay neutral. Well, how can anyone stay neutral if the children are being taken? You know, that, that is a favourite also. And those lawyers who are going to get onto you if they do will, will confirm that's the case. In a criminal case, confirm. Ian, in a criminal case, I, I would have redress. If you represented me in a criminal case and you stitched me up with the judge, even if you thought it was the right thing to do, even if you were not corrupt, and, and thanks for correcting that, you, you, you were not accusing them all of being corrupt, so that's good. None but of them. None, none of them, them are but, corrupt. No, but, but, but you know, I was just going to say... They've got, a different, they've got a different view of things. They think social workers are right. But there's a problem with that, isn't there? Because if let's say, let's look at the criminal justice system. So I'm accused of committing some crime that's on the statute books. I hire Ian Josephs because Ian has passed the bar and he's the man. So I say, right, Ian, you're, you're representing me. I'll give you some money. And then I find out later on that you were kind of pleading... Um, pleading me out, as they would say in America, or you know, pleading me to some lesser charge or something, and that I wasn't entirely in agreement with that, I'd be able to have you disbarred. So why you are these solicitors? You wouldn't, you know. Would I not? You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know. It happens all the time, even in the criminal courts, but in a different way. In, a, in America, especially, it's called plea bargaining. Plea bargaining. The, yeah. the number of people, the number of people who plead guilty to something they haven't done because of a threat that if they don't plead guilty they'll be accused of a felony and risk prison. Well, if they plead guilty, it'll be for a lesser charge and they'll get fined. That happens all the time. And it happens in England too. Oh, 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 all the time it happens. I'm naive then sometimes. It's not so terrible because they are adults and they can make a free choice. They can still say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to plead guilty. No, well, I'm, that's what I'm, I was going I, to say. I, that's but, what I was but, going but, to say. But, that's but the, the difference. The parents, have, the parents have, don't have that choice. Hmm. And, and yet they have no recourse. They can't go after these family court solicitors. Let, let, let me remind our listeners. Well, they, can, they, can, they can appeal and sometimes they win. I mean, I tell them, but, they, they sometimes, but they've got to appeal on the right grounds. If they go and appeal and say, no, I love my child, it should come home, they'll lose to the appeal court. They've got to have grounds to show that the, the first court was unfair. And, if, and I tell them, go in and say that you would try to speak and you were told to sit down. Your solicitor didn't call you to speak, so you weren't allowed to speak. Um, and you want to present your case because you were never allowed to. And, and sometimes they win on that. But they won't, they won't win on just going over the same things again. No. Let, let me let, let, let me just um, it's twenty eight minutes past uh, the hour. This is flying by. Uh, I have questions. Listeners are asking me to put questions sure to you. Anything you like. Yeah, they're 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 excellent questions. Before we ask the questions, though, um, from from speaking to you over the years, 
from watching you on, on television, on YouTube, on, on BitChute and other channels, I know you're a straight guy. I know you've never wanted any praise. You've never wanted any adulation. And I know you don't really do soft talk, but... I, I want to say this because when I said you were coming on today, I got emails immediately. You, you. Y- immediately, you have helped over the years, um, and this thousands. is thousands and thousands of people. But but very serious cases. You've actually managed to help people get the hell out of the UK and get them to France and to other parts of Europe when it was looking like they were going to lose their children imminently. That's astonishing. I mean, that, that, that's Hollywood film stuff. How did you manage well, me, to do let that? Me, let me just defend myself against the social workers who on the website attacked me and saying, well, I made no, I made no, um, um, draw assess- no, no assessment beforehand, no harm assessment. Well, the, you know, those sort of assessments, should, should, future harm assessments, should, should be banned. I helped, uh, the people I helped to escape are pre- 99%, practically all, pregnant women whose babies would otherwise have been taken at birth. Yeah. And I can do that because I reckon that no matter what the mother has done, whoever she is, she's got a right to keep her baby for at least a time under a supervision order at the very least. Uh, that you can't take a baby from a mother because it's punishing the baby a hell of a lot more than the mother, and 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 and, and therefore I'm I don't go into the background too much of uh, of the mothers I help to escape to to Ireland to 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 um, North Cyprus is the only place that's 100 percent safe because they can't go because there's no diplomatic relations between the UK and North Cyprus because the Turks took over the North Cyprus when it was a Greek island and but they're the majority and 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 so you get all sorts of fraudsters and people who fled from England there and quite live quite openly there but uh, if they can't get there, then France or Spain. But I never advise anyone to go unless they can keep themselves with help from family or partner for at least six months before they can claim any benefits because they won't get them when they just get off the boat like they do in England. Imagine sometimes. imagine the horror of having to run from your country because you know that when your baby is delivered, it's going to be taken away from you and you might never see it again. And and for you to do that, to help these women, some of them get to Ireland, I, I know uh, of several, I, I, I know too, I had an email from a uh, from a lady, I can't mention her name, um, who you helped get to, to Ireland. Is that something that you have done recently or are, are in the process of doing? Hi. Yes, I suppose so. I never, I never know unless I have to send them some money to, you know, which I, what I do is I, I um, offer to refund the travelling expenses uh, of themselves and, and, and their partners and their children to go to any country they want. Um, so they have to actually go before they can claim anything off me. I don't give them the money because they probably, you know, some yeah, of them would just take it, back, it yeah, and think, what yeah. a mug. You know, but um, I, I, that's what I do. But I, I mean, the, the accusation that I don't make uh, inquiries beforehand uh, about them, um, risk assessment should be banned. You can't, you can't make an assessment of a future risk. You can't, um, and you shouldn't try. Um, any woman who, who's, who's had a baby does not deserve to have it taken at birth. It's terrible for the baby, um, apart from anything else. 
and and I help any woman like that. I I I don't help people who are under the family courts. Uh, I might give them advice and say those are the countries you can go to, but I don't actively help them with the network or anything yeah. like that. If they've got children who are running about, Ian, uh, what if um what if the pregnant woman? Yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. What if the pregnant woman is is using if she's got an addiction? You know, she might be addicted to something pretty rotten like heroin or something you know social services might say look this woman is a serial user of heroin and it's dreadful so when she gives birth we, we, we've got to get the child out of there how, how well, would you if, read that uh, pretty easily uh, if if that's the case and it's true then the police would arrest her for using illegal drugs and if she's under arrest then she'd have a baby in prison simple as that um what what I don't if if simply on the accusation of social workers unsupported by police they allege that well that's that's just something they they they're throwing in desperation to try to try and find out where she's gone or stop her going and if that is the case it's not as if she vanishes into thin air you can't if you're having a baby you can't vanish into thin air if you go to another country and have it. Uh, you've got to go to the hospital you, you give your medical records so they know all about it. But it's they're more humane. The number of people I've spoken to who've said, especially in France and Spain, gosh, when I went to France, when I went to Spain and Italy, for that matter, the social workers were so friendly. They said they'd do everything they could to help us keep our babies. The English ones said we're going to take them. You know, and 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 that is the point. It's the attitude of the social workers in other countries is much more humane and friendly, especially in Southern Europe. Than, 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 than it is in the UK. I have, a, I, have, I have an interesting point on that. Um, the last time we spoke was about three years ago. And when, yeah. we, when we'd finished speaking, a lady asked me, asked me to call her and said she wouldn't, she wouldn't come on even if I was to use the software to disguise her voice to make her sound like a Dalek. She wouldn't come on anyway. Yeah. But she'd left, she had worked as a health visitor and she'd left that profession and gone on to something else. And she had heard me talking about that it would be nice if we were to have children. My partner um, is French, uh, coincidentally. And really? we Yeah, from, from Nancy. Now, we don't have children. We'd like to have, but time is... I think time might beat us. And uh, yeah. anyway, there are other issues. But I, I said this, wouldn't it be lovely? This lady got in touch, and she'd heard me speaking with you. And she said, Richie, I'll tell you this if you and your missus are ever blessed with a baby, I'll just give you a little bit of advice. Never allow a health visitor cross your threshold. Do not yeah, let man. them in. And, and I said, why? I phoned her up. She said, Richie, if somebody comes and knocks on your door, which they inevitably will, oh, I'm a health visitor. We, we, we know you have a new baby. We'd like to come in. She said, that's where it begins often. Don't let them in. Tell them politely to go away. The child is healthy. What, what do you I reckon to, to tell, I have to tell people, social workers, health visitors and the like have no authority in the UK. Only police and judges have authority in court, not on the street. Police and judges have authority. Social workers have no more authority to tell anyone what to do than, than I have. It's, it's, uh, somebody said to me, no, that's not true. Um, parking, parking attendants, uh, they can, they can, they can tell you what to do. If you park on a red line, they can tell you to move your car. I said, no, they haven't got authority. They can tell you to move your car, but you can say, no, I'm not going to. You can tow it away if you like, but don't tell me to go and drive. 
you know, nobody can actually tell you what to do except the judge or police. And therefore, you should ignore, never take instructions from people who have no right to give you those instructions. But I think the most important thing is, like I said at the beginning, that the mistake that people like you and me even and others is, you've got to say what you want. And what we want is a reform that stops kids being taken for future emotional abuse, stops forced adoption, uh, so that these things can can no longer happen. That the, the Children's Act is repealed. To say that you can have you can have a friend to represent you in court, like I used to. I never lost a case when I was allowed to represent people, which I did before the Children's Act came in, um, uh, and I, I never lost one. But then in those days, before the Children's Act, the magistrates used to smile at me and frown at the social workers right. because they didn't like the idea. It was all new then. And and uh, so it wasn't. I wasn't. That was a brilliant advocate. I was just. I had a better case, and they were and they were nice people. But it's it changed completely with 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 that act of parliament. And those those provisions should be appealed, and the secrecy should be repealed. Why should why should secret courts? They say, well, you wouldn't. They ask the children, well, you wouldn't like your private affairs to be broadcast all over TV, would you? No, no. They yeah, say, yeah. But if they if they asked a different question, do you think your mother should go to jail if she complains? when they, her baby's taken. <laughs> you know, apart, yes that. apart from what you've done, and I'm, I'm not deifying you, I'm not. You're an amazing human being, Ian. I mean, the things that... Uh, but you are. I mean, who else that's does that? Tell that to my French wife. Well, does your uh, French wife shout occasionally at you? No, she. to be fair to her, she's very mild-mannered. It's me that does the bloody really? shout. That's unusual. Yeah. unusual with French ladies. No, she's... Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not complaining. I like it. But. She's very laid back. No, she, no, she. No, I suppose, yeah, she can be feisty when she wants to be. But uh, no, she's, she's, she's usually laid back. What, what you're doing is the sort of thing that, that people write screenplays about. You know, you've helped so many women. Um, you've you've prevented them from losing their children. I mean, you're a saint on earth, and people are telling me that I online that. now. But what what I can prophesy, I I don't like foretelling the future, but what I do prophesy that, and I won't be here, and neither will you to see it. But in fifty years' time, say they will be apologising for what they've done now, just the same as they are apologising for sending all those 300,000 kids to Australia just after the war to be uh, exploited by the, by the Christian buggers, as they called them, Christian yeah. brothers, Christian buggers, uh, and, and forced labour. They, they, you know, the fact is, people say, well, all these wise people, who the hell are you, uh, I think it's the right thing. Well, just because all the wise people think it's the right thing doesn't mean it, it's right at all. And... and uh, people used to think that it was the right thing for Christ- for Catholics and and Protestants to burn each other at the stake because they because they thought the wine was was not Jesus' blood or it was. Yeah. Um, and and on a simple matter of dogma, which is that was the equivalent of it, Mother they burned Mary. each other yeah. alive. They, yeah. And it was a respectable thing to do. And when they knocked down all these statues for slavery, because the people were involved two hundred years ago, slavery was respectable in every single country in the world indulged in it 
uh, by conquering other countries and using the people's slaves. We did. The Africans did. Everybody did. It wasn't. It was. It wasn't such a, an outrage. I mean, the law changes. When I was when I was young, I um, my best friend uh, at, at college um, was Ant- a fellow called Anthony. He's dead now, um, and he was gay. And he, you know, we were terrific friends. And he and he was looking over his shoulder because he would be thrown into prison at the time. Yeah. Now it's the opposite. <laughs> if you say, if you dare to say, "Oh, I don't like that fellow. He's too gay," you get you get arrested hate for, for a hate crime. Yeah, that's that's wrong too. The, the pendulum swings but the law can change so much so just because the law is like this it doesn't mean because all the self-righteous people who put it into practice were right they, they weren't necessarily because it, it can stand on its head a little while later can't it absolutely I mean, women, women having the vote outrageous how can you yeah. say such a thing you know and that, that all the all the all the wise people at the time thought that that was completely right that the women should never have the vote and, so, and now certainly they they do and of course it's right but people they, need to know about this though. people need to know about this two quick questions for you um i should have asked you a moment ago does your lovely french wife support your work Oh gosh, yes, yes. I mean, she agrees. She agrees with it. She's not somebody to make speeches and, and proclaim over radio or TV like 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 I am. But but uh, yes, she agrees with it. Uh, I mean, because the, any French person is horrified. I've broadcast. I appeared on French TV, uh, and they made a film of it, which was top of the pops, as it were, in Paris for a year, for not for a year, for a month or two. Um, and 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 this, they are horrified. They can't. They didn't believe me. You know, it's people don't always believe me. Yeah. They didn't believe that children could be taken for future risk. They didn't believe that that was possible in England. People and still in fact, don't. more children are taken for future risk than for anything that's happened to them. Because if if a child's beaten up thoroughly and and mishandled. Uh, and arms broken and sexually abused. Nobody wants to adopt that child, so they leave those kids to die. Do <clears throat> damned if we do, damned if we don't. They leave the the serious ones who are in and out of hospital. They leave them. They want <clears throat> nice children from nice homes, blue eyes and blonde, if possible. You know, for adoption because that's the racket. Because people are making millions. Um, all, all the all these um, adoption and fostering agencies. Uh, declare huge profits like Bernardo's. They they declare their profits. Nothing hidden about it. Uh, their, their turnover runs into millions. A and billion all that pound would a year away industry. If this if this didn't do it, and I you mean, know, I'm, I'm not, sorry, sorry. You know, I was, was going on, on that on on it going away. If people yeah. knew over the years, I, I can think of two writers who've taking it on, Christopher Booker rest in peace, God rest him and um, and Sue Reid at the Daily Mail That's but right, apart from too. apart from those two seemingly nobody else in print journalism wanted to touch it, did they? It's, the, it's, it's, it's squashed from quite high up, look, Christopher told me uh, that towards in, at the end of his life, in the last year or two He's, he's had to stop writing about social services or children in care. He said the editor of his newspaper, The Telegraph, came to him and said, look, 
uh, you're saying too much about this. Uh, please write about the sort of things we'd like you to write about, about life in Somerset in the country and uh, relationships with other countries. We, we, we don't want you uh, criticizing all the time social services. So, uh, so if you do write something like that, the, the chances are we won't publish it. That's what Christopher told me. You know, he was shut up by his editor. And I reckon his editor was met at some big social gathering somewhere. And somebody said to him, yeah, I think you're in line for a knighthood, you know, uh, top the wink. But don't annoy the people who matter, you know, all this stuff about social workers. Yeah. We don't really want. And I reckon it was a nod and a wink. Nothing outright threatened or said. But uh, that was that was why in the last few months you never saw Christopher mention anything, any case about social services at all. He, he had to make a living. He didn't want to lose his job or his pension. And he did, and to be fair to him, he did enough. Now um, well, he did he did a terrific amount. He did a terrific amount. Yeah, he, he really did. One 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 kind of recurring theme. Whenever I interviewed a victim of this, when I ever whenever I interviewed a, a, mo- a mom, it was usually mums and. Yeah you know, they would come on and we would talk for an hour on this programme. One of the things they often claimed, and I, I, I could never get any proof, they believed that family court judges have been found in the past to have conflict of interest, that some of these people, in fact, had shares in the foster care industry or in care homes. Was, was any of that ever proven? Oh yeah, but it was declared not to be a, a, not about shares. So I don't think that was ever proved. But but they were, but, but several judges were directors of of uh, children's homes and of uh, adoption adoption agencies. Several, you know. I th- I mean, and that was declared that 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 was in no way uh, a conflict of interest because it didn't bias them on any one particular case. And that it was too far-fetched to say that they would decide all the cases that people should go into care and be adopted just because they were involved with one or two. You know, it... it uh, and, and, I mean, it, there was no dispute over the fact that it happened, but the dispute was that it was it was not sufficient to disqualify a judge. How do you live yeah. with that? I mean, how does anyone live with the insanity well, well funny enough I don't I've never believed I've never alleged that the judges are corrupt they are biased in favour of social services but if you present a good enough case you can win but the, the trouble is to be to be allowed to produce a good case because they they, they don't not the judges but the lawyers don't let the people speak um, time and time again, you, out of all the people that you've interviewed, how many of them actually uh, were told by the lawyers, we'll speak for you? Most of them. You can't, Most hmm? of them. Yeah. Nearly well, all of them. Where, that's where the courts... And that's why, uh, say, one in 400 care orders are refused. And I don't know about adoption placements. It's probably similar. It, it's, it's, it's a sort of conveyor belt process. And I've no doubt that in 40, 50 years' time, they'll be apologising for it because it is not the same in England as in most as in any other European countries. Uh, it's similar in the United States because the, the, the... But it depends on which state you're in. in it might happen states, sooner, they Ian. Budget, they make their budgets out, out, of, out, of, out of this. That's, out of that, that's right. I've read that. I, it might happen sooner than 50 years. I think something we spoke about over the years was... 
as this was happening on steroids in the noughties, which it was, this yeah. this horror of children being taken away for, for no good reason, you would imagine lots of these children reaching adulthood now, building their own lives, and they might start to look at taking cases against the state, no? Well, they might, but I don't think they'd win. I think it needs a change in legislation. You see, before the Act... Uh, there were no social workers involved in court cases, uh, and and it was it, before the act. It was simply police took care of child cruelty, and criminal courts took care took care of of it when it came to the law. Uh, police and criminal courts, if they revised that system, replaced family courts, or made family courts operate under the same rule as criminal courts, where you're innocent until proved guilty, not guilty more likely than not, which is what the family courts go on, which is the more likely. Uh, And and then social workers were there to support families. If they never appeared in court against a family, if the police were the ones who prosecuted, you know, I, I think it, it, was a fair, it was a fair thing because even when all those children were sent to Australia, they weren't sent, they weren't sent because they were alleged to have been cruelly treated at home. They were, they were sent without telling their parents. They were evacuees and people and they, who didn't, and, and they were just sent over. But it wasn't like that. Um, I think the police did a good job stopping child cruelty, a much better job than social workers. They, they would never have let these Baby P and, and Arthur and all those people happen. They would never have let it happen. And if it had, the criminal courts would, would punish the people, would punish the people who physically abused the children or sexually abused them, not the ones who who quarreled or, or somebody who had learning difficulties, for God's sake. You know, I've had people say, well, I'm dyslexic. Yeah. Well, dyslexia, I mean, my best friend uh, at Oxford, who outstripped me after we left, though we were in business together at the beginning, Michael Heseltine, became Deputy Prime Minister. Believe me, he's very dyslexic. His son is dyslexic, and his grandson's dyslexic. Didn't stop him doing things. Heseltine. So well, that's fascinating because Heseltine would have been around in 1989 when the Tories brought forward uh, the bill. Did you ever ask him what was he thinking or what was his government thinking? I'm sure he never read. He never read the action. Never Times. read it. I'm sure he didn't. If he did, he wouldn't have spotted that. Very few people would. It needs a lawyer or someone lawyer-minded to spot what's in there and to be suspicious enough to read them all. I mean, if you've ever, have you ever read... I've never read an act of Parliament from start to no. finish. I, I pick out the bits that, 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 that annoy me or, or that I think are... But, I mean, they don't, they don't do that. They, they are told in Parliament the gist of what is going to be passed, and if anybody objects to it and finds something that's wrong, they bring it up. But if they don't bring it up, it just gets nodded through by the majority. Yeah, and they're I mean, told by the whips to vote for. That's the best we can do in a democracy. You know, I'm not complaining so much about that system. It's the fact. The fact is that that it, it's a bad law. That that the people who who are objecting, like myself, to the system and the, the kids being taken away for nothing, should be campaigning like I do continually for a for a change in the law to 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 no longer have children taken for. A supposed future harm. Future That's the harm. Biggest one. Let That's me ask you. We're, we're going to quickly run out of time, uh, Ian. Um, thanks for answering those questions and thanks for coming on to talk about this. Just a, a couple of quick ones. Right up until 
the 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 COVID thing. Um, I, I'm not going to get into that now. But right up 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 until 2020, how many children a year, roughly, are taken into care in this country? Do we know? Um, I don't know the actual figure um, offhand. There are a hundred thousand children who are in care at this minute. Uh, in about 80,000 in England and the other 20,000 made up of Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. So it's close on 100,000 in care. I would say probably at least at least 10 to 15,000 a year. There, there is a figure on my on my site. It'll be on the website. I don't want to be dogmatic on my website because, because uh, I haven't got it in my head just at the moment. No, that's fine. It, you don't have to worry about that. No, no, I wasn't putting you on the spot. That's forced-adoption.com, folks. Forced-adoption.com. Uh, get on to it. All, all I can say to you is, and, and I really do mean it, on behalf of every uh, family, every woman that you've helped get out of Dodge before the unimaginable horror of losing your child first for no adop- reason. First adoption I can give you, there are approximately 5,000 a year taken. 5,000? First adoption, yeah. That I can tell you, because the, the figures are published. And there's nothing, and the figures are published with all the money that the people get for it and everything. There's no, there's no, there's no shame in it. All these are forced, these all adoption and fostering agencies declare millions of profits. The directors get six figures and sometimes seven figure salaries. It's all it's it's all there. You can look it up. It's on my site, but it's in, or look up the individual com- companies for yourself. There's no there's nothing hidden about it. The only thing hidden is the processing the family process. courts. But yeah. there's, there's nothing else hidden at all. Um, but people don't care about it too much. It's difficult for most people to care about something that doesn't affect them. You, um, Unfortunately, that's life, isn't it? That's Yeah, it is. You you turned 90 since we last spoke, amazingly. Right, yeah. Hell of an age, isn't it? I can't it's, believe it. It's okay. a hell of an age. What? Um, here, here's, the, here's my stupid question of the week. Uh, you yeah. sound half your age. What motivates... What keeps you going, like, after everything you've done... On this, uh, you know, it's one of the most important things in the world. This, this, this subject. I, I what think, keeps you going? Uh, I, I, I'd like to say, oh, it's my passion for the rescuing children that keeps me going. It doesn't really. That is a byproduct of. I think I've got a French wife who, who gives me bloody pills and makes me exercise and does everything, and she looks after me very, very well. I'm naturally. A happy sort of person. I've never been. I like to say in my life, I've never been unhappy. I've been angry. I've been worried, but that's not the same thing. I'm sad when my mother died, for example. But I've never been. I've never been anxious, worried, and I've got a full head of grey hair, not even white. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my mind says it's just because you don't care about anything, and I suppose I don't. I don't. If people pour insults on me, I laugh. I don't care what other people think. I don't really. It's not just a saying. I really don't, and, and I, 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 I don't get upset easily. I think I, you know, talking about myself for a minute, but I, I think I miss out on some things in life. I've never, I've never known what it is ecstasy. You know, oh, so everything is <laughs> wonderful. I've never known. The depths of despair, either. You yeah, know, I, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, 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 I'm around the middle. Even tempered, an even tempered well, man. Even, yeah. yeah, I never lose my temper. But I don't. I don't. Think the I wife, the wife, the wife, the wife, the wife loses enough for both of you. 
<laughs> yeah, it's 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 just it's just it's just like that. I can't. I, <clears throat> I mean, I miss I miss things. I'm, I'm I miss extreme happiness, and but I miss extreme sorrow as well. Uh, I, I jog along in a boring sort of way. So, <laughs> well, I accept I'm not bored. There's nothing life, boring. Can, well, we've we've got thirty seconds before I've got to get out. Listen, there is nothing remotely boring about you, the life you've led with your French wife and the things that you've done on behalf of your fellow human beings. Whatever is after this life for us, and hopefully you'll be here for another 10, 15 years, or 20 years, please God. Uh, But whatever is coming next, um, you'll you'll get a reward for it because you've done amazing things, selfless things for your fellow human beings. Thank you on behalf of them. And uh, don't be a stranger, Ian. Whenever there's something to, to to say or to chat about, you're always welcome back here. I, yeah, I think you're you're an amazing I guy. The twenty years, I'm afraid, is out of it, but I can't hope for ten. <laughs> you might get that letter from the Queen. You never know. <laughs> Ian, <laughs> I don't know. She knows I'm here. God bless, mate. Thanks so much for coming on again, okay. and and God speed okay. to you. Okay, bye. Bye for now, Ian Josephs. It's forced-adoption. dot com. That that gentleman is ninety years old. I, I was introduced to him by an amazing woman called Emma Ibitson, who works in film production with her fella Pete. And Emma had her daughter taken by the state for nothing. If I told you why, you wouldn't believe me. They put the daughter in a educational film about road traffic safety that was commissioned by the same local authority that took the child away because the parents put the child in the film. That's not a lie, that. I've never lied to you. And uh, Emma introduced me to Ian Josephs. They should make films about Ian Josephs and what he's done for women uh, over the years. That's it for the programme, forced-adoption.com. I hope you never have to worry about it. But in these times when you might be considered to be an anti-vaxxer because you won't take your government's mandated medicine, uh, quite rightly, by the way, and your missus might have a baby and someone in social services might deem you or your missus to be a future risk to the child because of your stance on mandatory vaccinations. You need to arm yourselves, I think, with a bit of knowledge. I'll see you tomorrow on Wednesday's programme at five o'clock. Until then, take care of yourselves and one another. Feel-